Lined into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. And welcome inside episode 93 of Breaking Bats, presented by Not For Long Media. My name is Justin Ayers. Big episode this week. Big episode because with the news that the Cincinnati Reds had declined the option of Joey Votto, making him a free agent for the first time in his career, probably ending his career in Cincinnati. I'm a big Joey Votto fan. I, I always have been. I always will be. I think he's the best. With that news all going down, I wanted to have senior MLB writer for The Athletic, C. Trent Rosecrans, covers the Reds, recurring guest. I wanted to have him on, talk all about what Joey's meant to the city of Cincinnati, his career, his future in the, in the game, and, and a whole bunch of other stuff, which is so much fun. So Trent is the man. Really appreciate him coming on. Before we get to Trent, though, we wanted to give a shout out to two quick apparel sponsors of this podcast. Uh, one of my favorite brands out there, Few Will Hunt. It's a great American company out of Philadelphia. They're out to restore the dignity of hard work. It's my favorite shirt I work out in. It's my it's one of my favorite shirts, period. Check them out, fuelhunt.com. And also, uh, Shoreboy Clothing Company. Fall, winter, look, we're in those winter months, but that doesn't mean you still can't capture the essence of a summer at the Jersey Shore in Shoreboy Clothing Company. Check them out, shoreboy.co. Check them out. All right. With that all being said, let's get to our interview this week with C. Trent Rosecrans. Enjoy. All right, we are now joined by a very special two-time recurring guest, friend of the podcast, senior writer for The Athletic, covering the Reds, C. Trent Rosecrans. Trent, it's it's so great to see you. Thank you so much for hopping on here. There's a lot to talk about. There's been a lot of Reds news lately, so I wanted to have you on. Uh, but how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, did did you anticipate the off season starting so so quickly, so rapid fire for your your off season here? Yeah, I mean, like they had five days from the end of the World Series to 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 make this decision, and I think we all saw kind of the writing on the wall, and you knew where they were kind of probably headed with this, and it it stinks. It's part of the whole thing, but you know, I was thinking about it. It's like I went from. Ken Griffey Jr. and had a little overlap in 07 and 08 to Joey Votto. Now, we didn't know that Joey Votto was going to be Joey Votto in 07 and 08, but you knew he was going to be a pretty good player. I mean, if you were going to bet on – if you would have told us at the time, like, okay, one of these guys is going to be a Hall of Fame player, um, it probably wouldn't have been Votto. It would have been Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce had a very good career. Um, maybe even Homer Bailey, who had a pretty good career himself, or you know the third guy. I mean, you look at it; it's funny. As I've, I've gone back a couple times and looked at their 08 prospect list um, in Baseball America. I think I have that downstairs, and I'll have it with me right now. But it's like one Jay Bruce, two Homer Bailey. I don't remember if Cueto was three or Vado was three, and then the other guy was four. I mean, you had. Uh, I think Todd Frazier, Zach Cozart, uh, Devin Masarocco, um, Sam LeCure, so many guys in there. I think like 29 on that list was Justin Turner. Um, I think technically for, for, oh, no, 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 for that would have been 08. But yeah, Justin Turner was on that list. 
uh, it, it, it's insane. Like, and you look at it, and it's like, oh, when you see in retrospect a a group with that much talent, um, in retrospect, you see, oh, why they were successful from o two to thir- or from t- two thousand ten to two thousand thirteen, that four year window with a lot of those guys who were just coming up and you always kind of like look at those in six years chunks because that's what you have team control over. Right. And, you know, you have guys like Todd Frazier and, and so many others in there. Um, but looking back on it, it's like, Oh yeah, Joey Votto, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Obviously we're of course referring to the news of the Reds declining his option. Um, I went back Trent. I was telling you this before we started taping. I went back and I listened to our interview from last year and you mentioned Ken Griffey Jr. and how Joey Votto kind of started his career at the end of Ken's career. I wanted to go back to that because there was a point you made, and I thought it was fascinating. I should have asked you more about it then. When when Ken was at the at the end of his time in Cincinnati and Joey was there as a very young kid watching this all go down, like what impact do you think that had on his decision to stay in Cincinnati as long as he did? And like, have you talked to those two guys or even Joey just about like that 07, 08, like what impact that had on his Cincinnati Reds tenure? You know, I, I I haven't, and I probably should. I think that's a good catch by you, um, what that looked like. Um, because you saw it, and, and it was tough because Ken Griffey Jr. is from Cincinnati. This is his hometown. And for, for, for quite a while, it was his dream to come play here. And it was dream of Reds fans to have the hometown kid here. And it didn't quite work out like anybody wanted it to. Um, you know, Ken had some very good years here, had a great career. Um, you know, he's, he's freaking Ken Griffey Jr. Right. Um, but, but still it, it, it always kind of felt like it wasn't, it never lived up to what everybody had hoped it would be. Um, and then he did have, you know, his, his next to last season was that coming back to Seattle after, uh, going to, uh, Chicago in 08. Um, coming back to Seattle and having so much success in 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 '09, um, I think that's right. They all run together. But then his last year, not as much, you know. And 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 he kind of quit or uh, he he retired uh, during the season. And it's one of those things where this time comes for everybody. It comes for Joey Votto. It comes for Kevin Jr. <laughs> Um, it comes from Cody, apparently, the dog. Um, and, 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 you know, so, like, it is, it's, it's part of what we do here. And one of the reasons we love it is it is always ever-changing. Um, but Father Time is undefeated, as we've heard so many times. And it is uh, difficult to, to see it happen right in front of you. And it's, it's not, these things rarely end like you would like them. Um, but in the end, they all end. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Um, I, I'm seeing a lot of reports. So I read obviously the statement that the Reds put out. I saw Joey's video. Um, I, I'm also seeing some, some rumors floating around that the door might not be a hundred percent closed. D- have you heard this? And, and is there any yeah. truth to that? Yeah. I mean, we asked Nick crawl. I've talked to Nick crawl, the, the Reds president of baseball operations. I've talked to Joey you know, and, and nobody is saying it could never happen, but I think a lot of things would have to happen and it would have to be 
just right on so many things. Um, I, you know, Joey still believes that he can play every day. Um, and that the last two years were more of a result of the injury than the aging curve. And when you look at his 2021, it was really good. I mean, he, he was MVP votes. Um, he was one of the best in the game. And, you know, I think he believes that he can still do that. And that the last two years were more about the, the shoulder than they were um, being now 40 years old. Uh, but the problem is he, he believes that he can still play every day. And again, it's Joey. I never put anything past him because he's proven time and time again that you just never doubt the guy. But who is going to take that commitment? Who, where, where, where is it where he can play every day? You know, um, if, if he doesn't want to be kind of that bench bat, part-time player, maybe a platoon player, uh, even like the, the role that Brandon Belt had in Toronto last year. If he still thinks he can be every day and he's not going to settle for something like that, I just don't know where that is. Um, and, and, and hopefully I'm wrong and somebody gives it to him and he proves it's all wrong. Um, I don't know, but uh, that is going to be a challenge. I, I did see today, I was reading the, the rumor mill about this, about the, the hometown Toronto Blue Jays. You know, being intrigued, I guess, is what they were maybe calling it. Um, could, sure. I mean, you're, I mean, that's, I'd obviously make sense. It, do you foresee a situation where, I mean, you're right. I'm looking at the roster and, and the playing time situation. It probably would be hard for him to go somewhere and get 130, 40 plus games every day. Yeah. I, I just don't know where that is, especially at a place, you know, a, a non-premium defensive position at first base. Um, you know, first base and DHing. Uh, that's there's a lot of guys who fit that profile, and many of them are much younger and much cheaper. And and so that's that is the big question. Last time you were on, you mentioned that Joey liked the idea of being like a player in one uniform for his entire career. And I think most athletes probably, if you ask them, like that idea too, that the Cal Ripken Jr., the, you know, I came in as a Oriole, I'll retire as an Oriole, that kind of thing. Um, how much of an adjustment do you think that'll be for him if he doesn't end up going back to the Reds and he go does go to the Blue Jays or some other team? Like, it is kind of weird seeing like players, especially like him, like just in a different uniform. Right, you know, the Mike Piazza Marlins uniform pictures. Uh, even though Mike Piazza <laughs> kind of is iconic in two different franchises, so probably not the best uh, best uh, example. But, you know, there are those guys, like and Will Clark is a, is a Cardinal. Uh, Larry Walker is a Cardinal. Um, those are weird ones to me. Um, even though, again, those are guys probably who weren't. I'm trying to think of a better example of somebody who was at one place their whole career. Uh, Willie Mays. Uh, you know, you don't think of him as a Matt, uh, but, but that doesn't, that doesn't change the greatness of Willie Mays. And no matter what kind of other, how it looks, uh, it's not going to like lessen Joey Votto as the baseball player and um, what he has accomplished. So it will be really weird to see him in a different uniform uh, if, if that does happen. Although I think there is something about it being, if it were Toronto, it would be just kind of interesting just because, I mean, that is, you know, I, I had a, I think it was two years ago, um, uh, the Reds were in Toronto 
and I uh, I was there and I went to like Joey's child at home and, and wrote about that scene and talked to him about it. And uh, he had actually kind of met, he met me there and then we rode from his childhood home. He, he gave me the ride down downtown to my hotel, which was right next to the stadium. And like him just recounting going from there, from where he grew up to just what a special thing it was to him as a kid to go to, to a Blue Jays game at, at, at Rogers Center, Sky Dome. And, and you could feel what it meant to him to, to just take that, that drive and uh, in all the places along the way. So, I mean, while I think it would be cool if he were a Cincinnati Red forever, uh, there would be something cool about the, the, him in Toronto. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's different in Toronto than maybe so many other places. Um, just because, especially now, like the Blue Jays are not just Toronto's team, they're Canada's team. And Joey Votto is arguably, he and Larry Walker, and, you know, and, and are, are arguably the greatest Canadian baseball players of all time. You know, Ferguson Jenkins, you throw on there as well. Um, uh, but, but th- those guys, it's it would be really interesting just to see him play there especially like you know Larry Walker started his career in Montreal and so he got that chance to be that Canadian icon but it's even more so because Joey did grow up in the Toronto area such a great point yeah and we've seen him on TV in the Canadian Mountie uniform so it's like he's already <laughs> kind of like maybe a quarter of the way there um, yeah I, I read and as I'm sure you did, uh, Joey wrote this article about like going through the minor leagues. I think it was called a, a bus ride. One of the most yeah. well-written, like it was the, the most captivating thing I've ever read. Um, but in it, he described himself as a skinny, shy, passive Canadian kid. And I think that's probably when you first met him, like way back when. What's it been like watching him evolve as a person and just like as a player after all these years? Yeah, I re- my first real memory of Joey was at the Futures game in Pittsburgh. Um, Homer Bailey started for the Team USA, and this was back when it was USA versus World. And uh, he was the reason I was there because he was the Reds' top prospect, one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. And he was starting the Futures game. Um, I think he started, but anyway, he was in there early. Uh, and so I, that's my main story the whole time. And I'm like, well, I got a notebook. Oh yeah, I'll go talk to the this Canadian kid that's on the World team. And I talked to him. He was just this like shy Canadian kid. He's probably 21, 22 at the time. Um, and I think he was in double A at the time. And uh, he would play the next year in the Futures game. And I think in San Francisco in 07. But that was 05, I think. Anyway, it all kind of runs together at this point. But um, yeah, that was the first one. And then I remember the next next year in, in spring training, just kind of talking to, to this this Canadian kid who got a call up into a big league camp and um, like to see it, to go from that, who was a shy Canadian kid uh, to a hall of famer and like a hall of fame personality and player, which you, you don't always get that combination. And, uh, and, and he really is. I, I, I've been blessed in my career because the baseball career I've, Every baseball team I've ever covered on a daily basis has had either Ken Griffey Jr. or Joey Votto. And that's pretty good. 
And uh, I, I, not a lot of people have that kind of thing. And I, I've been able to do that. And uh, it's going to be weird not to have them, but I will have Ellie De La Cruz. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so and Ellie's another one of those where it's like, it's funny. I can remember the first time I heard his name and then the first time I saw him. And, and, and it's, there are some similarities to me um, just in my own little personal journey that like, it was 2021, um, like August of 2021. I'm in a hotel room in, in Louisville and uh, an agent calls me. He goes, hey man, I just talked to some Reds people and they said, we found our Tatis. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he's like, yeah, you know, they, they, they kind of said, maybe he's not exactly Tatis, but the kid's pretty good. And I was like, who, who is this? And like, there's a 6'5 switch hitting shortstop that they think is that good. And I'm like, that's, that's insane. And then like, it's nuts that usually at that time, when you hear about somebody, you hear like the sky high projections. Um, you know, you're always like, oh, the, the, the ceiling's not going to get higher than this, but the floor is so low. And the thing is with him, they both moved up where, you know, then it was like, okay, no, he could, <laughs> be as good as Tatis or, you know, the ceiling went from tat, almost Tatis to Tatis to the ceiling being best player in baseball to the ceiling being generational talent. Um, and then the floor being never make it out of a ball to right now his floor would be possibly a plus defender at shortstop. Pretty important position and a switch hitter who's going to, even if he hits, he gets on base at a 290 clip, he could still hit you 30 homers by accident and steal 50 bases. And, like, that's almost the floor at this point uh, if he stays healthy. And, and, and so it's insane um, that, yeah, it's, it's been nuts to watch that. Uh, but, like, I, I don't know that anybody was talking about that with Joey Bonner. Like, Joey, I just remember, like, oh, this kid, this kid can hit. This is, I remember, row 7 and 08. Like, man, that kid can really hit. He comes up at 07. You're like, oh, he hit pretty well. And oh, wait, there's like, oh, wait, they re-signed Scott Hatterberg? Huh. Maybe they're not all sold on this kid. And then a couple months later into the season, Scott Hatterberg had played his last games. Um, and, and Joey Votto had become, started on his trajectory. And it's it's been unbelievable to watch. Um, and it's just, it's... It's it's weird to think of a Reds team without Joey Votto. Now I've seen it because of injuries, but even when he was injured, he was still a presence. Just the fact that he would be back, and now we don't have that. Yeah. Dang. Is there a home run or a hit from Joey's career that is like the most memorable or maybe the most significant uh, in your opinion? That's a great question because there are just so many. Like I. I still go back, even though like the 17 season was unbelievable. Like that is as impressive as it, it was. Um, and then 12, he was off to an incredible start. And then he got hurt and he came back and just decided to stop making outs. And when he came back, he didn't have any power, but he was like a 500 on base percentage of the, once he returned um, in 12. And, and that was such a good team. But like, I still think of that run in, in, in 21. Um, where he hit home runs in like eight straight games 
and the ninth, maybe that's the one that sticks with me the most, is the one that wasn't a home run because it was in the ninth game, his last out bat at City Field, and he hit the top of the fence. I mean, he was like two inches from being nine in a row. And what was funny was, I think he said, somebody asked him, I was, well, you know, hey, the first one was a great American ballpark home run. It probably wouldn't have been out anywhere else. And I got kind of lucky on that one. So it all evens out. And I mean, it's a typical Joey kind of answer. He was right, but it's also just insane. Um, Like, I, 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 (laughs) the funny one, I think you mentioned this, the other one that sticks with me was in spring training. And it was in a story, I think we talked about it last time. It was when you Darvish first came over and he threw in one of those big looping you Darvish curveballs and he told the catcher, and I, I've, I've talked to several people who confirmed this and just said, if he throws me that again, I'm hitting it out of the stadium. And at the time we didn't know that was what he was saying, but you saw it. You could always see Joey like just thinking and like he got fooled on that one badly. And then like, you could just kind of tell that even though this was spring training, it meant something because this was you, Darvish. This was the guy. I mean, that first year came over. It was such an enigma. And um, and then he literally hit it out of the stadium. And it was just unreal. And then talking to the other guys afterwards and like, oh, yeah, he called it. <laughs> it just – it was insane. So, like, I it – it's funny, like, I, I can remember, like, certain ones for a lot of people, but with Joey, there are just so many, and so many of them are tied up in what we learned later or maybe before because everything just is – they had that little bit extra because it was Joey, and and he always had something behind it. Uh, he was always one step ahead of everybody, and um, – it, it it was a pleasure to watch so many of Joey Votto's games over this Hall of Fame career. It's sad now. Yeah. That's <laughs> also yeah, it's weird. Back. Like I'm still trying yeah. to deal with it, you know? It's a lot to process. Like my, one of my biggest regrets is that like after you told that story, I went to go try to find a video of that. Maybe because it's spring training, maybe because it was 10 years ago, but MLB really has to up their video game from back then. I really cannot find any single video of anything from back then. Yeah, it's hard. Um, and it is, I mean, it was a while ago and technology has changed and games, uh, what we expect and all those are, are weird. But like, I will still, I still just remember it clear as day, right center field, out. And like seeing people looking over and it was just, just amazing. I like this first one back this year, mostly because John oh. Sadak. I, every one of John Sadak's home run calls is my favorite because they're all a little bit different, but there's just something about that first one back, the Joseph Daniel Votto. I'm like, that hits. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's tough. It's going to be tough for John to ever top that ball had a family. Yep. Um, the Ellie De La Cruz's first homer off That's... Noah Sindergaard. Um, and John is John's fantastic. Like there is nobody. I, I I refuse to believe that there's anybody in this game, on the broadcast side, who prepares more than John. And um, John is just a, a positive, like great person. I love John, and I've gotten to know him pretty well over the last couple of years. And his energy level, he he's very excited. Like some people think it's fake or over the top. And if you know John, it's just John. 
And what was great was that, you know, his first couple of years, he was not dealing with a team that matched his energy level. And this year, that team matched. He was the perfect voice for for this team, this young, exciting um, team. And it's been really cool to watch because I, I told John, the next day after the ball had that ball had a family, it's like, you know what? You've you cemented yourself last night. It was a perfect call and you were the perfect person to make that call. And uh, it, it's, it's been really cool to watch. You won't find a bigger John Sadek fan than myself. I want, like I'll get like MLB like TV and I'll just watch the Reds games one. Cause I, I like you guys and like the Reds, but also I just want to hear his calls and like the way he calls a game. It's, it's the best. Like, like as like, an Orioles fan, I'm also a Reds fan now. He, he wants to be there. like and, and that's the thing is he loves all that excitement is 100% genuine. And um, John's just a, just a great dude. Special, special guy. And um, I think it's probably taken a while for Reds fans to pick up just because, like, you know, if, if the announcer is calling, like, oh, the Reds lose again, you're not going to love them, you know. Like, <laughs> and, and I think Marty Brenneman will be the first person to tell you, and I think he has told me this before. It's like, you know, he was so lucky that he got popped in in uh, what was his first year? Was it 75 or 74? I think it was 70. It was one of those, 73, 74, 75. Like, I mean, he got popped in in the big red machine. And, like, if you're making a call of the big red machine, well, people are going to enjoy it because it usually means hearing your voice is a win. And um, with John, I'm so glad that the team kind of matches his energy and his excitement. And the way the team played on the field this year was a team with energy and excitement. And, and it was super cool to see that kind of fit together. Um, I, I think the Reds have a sneaky good broadcast. The radio, Tommy Thrall does a fantastic job. Jeff Brantley is uh, is fantastic. And um, Chris Welsh works really, really well with, with um, John Sadak. And I think Barry Larkin's really improved um, and gotten very good with, with um with Chris Welch and um, and John, and so it's it's been fun. Like you know, they those guys had some big shoes to fill, and I, I think they're doing a really nice job. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of Not for Long Media and the Breaking Bass Podcast, the Original Fudge Kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey Shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. The Original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteeing a delicious product, so stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bats sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. That's such a great point. I never even thought of it like that. Yeah, associating the broadcasters with like the quality of the team itself, like that's that you hit the nail on the head. Um, yeah. I wanted to go back because you mentioned Hall of Fame, and we talked a little Hall of Fame last time. But I wanted to talk about a couple things with the Hall of Fame. One is, we'll start with the easy one, just like the candidacy of Joey Votto. I think he's a Hall of Famer. I've had this debate with multiple friends of mine. Like, when you look at the way his career stacks up, and maybe we'll even compare it with, like, a guy like Todd Helton. Like, can you see a case for Joey Votto getting into Cooperstown? I, I struggle to see a case for him not getting in. Um, and and I, think, I think there's a couple things. And I wrote this, I think this was my first uh, story for the Athletics. So this is five years ago. And some things have changed since then, or six years ago. Sorry. Jeez, time flies. Um, but the thing here is he is a little bit different because 
he is a product of his times um, where he doesn't have the hit total, but on base total, you know, he's gotten on base 3,500 times. That's, that's a lot with those hits and the walks. I mean, the, the statistical bar, the only one I think he needed to clear that he has was the 2,000 hits um, because that is kind of when you look at it. But be, with that and 13, 1,400 walks or whatever, still had power, you know, still did RBI, you know. There, there are just so many ways to look at it. Okay, so when I was growing up, batting titles were the thing. Um, George Brett was my favorite player all time. And so like three batting titles, three different decades. I mean, three batting titles is, is a great career. Joey Votto's career spans the time and, and really does span them. The start of Moneyball on like Moneyball. What's funny is Moneyball, the Moneyball draft is the Joey Votto draft. And the A's had, you know, you, you think about the A's, the Billy Bean, Moneyball, the movie, the book, everything you think about, Oh, getting on base, on base percentage over batting average. And, you know, they're, they're in the book, there's a lot about um, Billy Bean really being obsessed with getting Kevin Euclid, the so-called Greek god of walks. Like, it's not Greek, he's Jewish, but a whole different story. Um, Cincinnati guy, actually. And so what's funny about that is, and then another big part about Moneyball is the draft. Well, the A's had seven picks before the Reds took Joey Votto in the second round. And if there's one guy that encapsulates getting on base, it's Joey Votto. For, I think it's a span of nine years, eight of those he was healthy in the nine, in the, from I think it's 2010 to 2008, or uh, 2010 to 2018 or whatever. Those seven or eight years that he was healthy, he has seven on base titles in the National League. And the one where he was healthy that he didn't get it, he lost to Bryce Harper by one one thousandth of a point. Like it was, he was second and Bryce just nipped him. And that was Bryce Harper's first MVP year. And who, and he was phenomenal. So, so when you think about that, like seven on base titles in nine years. If, 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 even, even now, even now, if you told me a guy that won seven batting titles in nine years, and if we are now saying that on base percentage is more important than batting average, but you said seven batting titles in nine years, you're like, well, Hall of Famer, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that's like Tony Gwynn crap and, you know, Rod Carew. I mean, that's, that is what you're talking about here. And, um, it, 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 it's it's really hard for me to make a case that he is not a Hall of Famer. You made you made a really good point about like the way that we view Hall of Famers has evolved. Like in the past, it was like you have to have like 500 home runs, and 3,000 hits, and for uh-huh. pitchers, it had to be like 300 wins. Like I think it was. But yeah. like I like the fact that like as time goes on, like we kind of like get more rational with our expectations of Hall of Famers. Like I think 200 wins is just as good as 300 wins for a career for a Hall of Famer. Now it is. Like I was, yeah. Now, you like know, it's 20 like, years it's ago, people were like, Ew, 200? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing you have to remember, um, the voting body changes every year. It skews younger. Um, in five, six, seven years, whenever Joey Votto goes in, I'm going to be an old voter, not a young voter. 
And my generation and younger value the things that Joey Votto did well. And so that's why I think that's another overlooked part of this discussion is, you know, you're talking about those traditional numbers. Well, that's the generation before me. That's what they held on to. My generation looks at a much different type of thing. Yeah. It's like war. It's like, that was the thing with Scott Rowland's candidacy. I think it was like, he had like the, yeah. one of the highest wars for a third baseman. And people were like, you look at, you look at the vanity metrics of a baseball career and you're like Scott Rowland. You're like, eh, okay, maybe. But then you look at the advanced ones like war and some of these other ones. You're like, Oh yeah. Like that guy, yeah. that guy did it. Yeah. I mean like there, there are guys that, I mean, I feel the same way about, you know, like when I say Joey Votto, like I, I don't see why, how, how he's not. I you know, I could almost make the case for Scott Rowan not being, but I, I voted for him every single time. Um, you know, guys like Tim Raines took him too long. Larry Walker, I, I was one of the biggest Larry Walker proponents um, that there there has been. And those guys, I think, as we've gotten a little bit further away, we've really appreciated them more. Do you think Nelson Cruz will get in? That's a really interesting one. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And that's where those five years really do help. I know it's a weird kind of just like, it seems, uh, I don't know, arbitrary at times, but I think it's really important to have those five years and to have that little bit of uh, separation. I think last time you were on, you, you had like a physical notebook of like your, your, I do. your Hall of Fame notebook. Um, can you take me into the hall of fame notebook for this upcoming class? Cause there's some guys that are like on their last year of eligibility. There's some great first year guys like Beltray. Like, what are you looking for when you fill out your 2024 ballot? Oh, I haven't even thought about it yet, but we're getting there, aren't we? It's November, um, yeah. end of the month that we get the ballot. Um, yeah, Beltray, like I'm not spending any time on Beltray cause that's an easy check. Right. I mean, like what Beltray was like one of the greatest defenders of all time at his position, 3000 hits, uh, I just, we, but, but yeah, like no brainer. Um, what else? I don't have it in front of me. I don't have my computer in front of me. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm well, there's like Utley and Maurer or the other big first Ooh, year guys. They're yeah. really interesting. And I think, I mean, Utley's a tougher one. And one of the things with Utley is you look at his age when he debuted. So his, his, his longevity is not going to be as much as others because I think he was, was he like, 24 25 when he debuted if you if you look it up i know it's later this is all off the top of my head i haven't started my notebook yet this year but 24. when you 24 yeah so but that's older right you know um for for a hall of fame career and, and that's one of the things that's kind of worked against joey too joey was 23 um joey for many years would just say and i think he's still if you ask him today he he was brought up too late um and you can probably agree with that, but um, there's Utley is going to be a tough one. But like, if you go back to that, was he the best at his position for his generation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. And then uh, who else did you just say? Oh, oh, Mauer. Like yeah. Mauer is such a different one because he is a different type of player. Um, he wasn't the slugger, but he was such a great hitter. He was a good defender. You know, you take into some of those injuries too, like with the concussions and all that. Um, I'm, I'm a big hall guy. 
Um, so I, I don't have it here, but I, I think like just my gut and I haven't done this, so it's, it's not sure, but I, I think those are both guys I'll probably check off. I know in the past you mentioned you fill out like all 10 every single year, which I love. There's, there's some writers who are very selective. They'll put like two on there and it always makes me mad. It's like, you have 10, use 10. Yeah. Well, I hate that we only have 10. Um, you know, Derek Gould, uh, of the, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the great Derek Gould, when he was president, he, um, he, he proposed what he called the binary ballot. If it's a yes, no thing, you know, are they all famous or not? And uh, the hall did not agree with it. Uh, the Baseball Writers Association uh, took it to them. It is not our decisions of how they look or how the voting process works. It, it's theirs. And so they, they, they did not agree with that one. Um, and we've had some other type of things. We tried to get it to 12 and they're like, no. Um, my thing is, is, it's kind of how I don't really complain about down ballot voting. I saw somebody like, just I had one like I can't believe that Spencer Steer is not a finalist for NL Rookie of the Year over James Altman. I'm like, okay, I can see your argument, but like, who cares? Corbin Carroll's going to win it unanimously. Like, I don't care about second place. I don't care about third place down voting. Now, I mean, those do come in, and and when I do vote, like I had, I guess I had Cy Young this year. You know, I take my fifth place vote as seriously as my first place, but. In the end, the whole process is to find the one. And everything else is just, you know, byproduct. Ooh. But also, with of words like Cy Young, like, you can see guys like, like Dylan Bundy got Cy Young votes one year. And it's like, it always helps guys, it always helps guys' careers and like, maybe even helps them financially too. So like, do you ever think about that aspect when you're voting for the, like the active player awards? You're like, getting this guy on the, you know, top 10 of whatever award that is, that might help them out a little bit. Uh, I don't think of it that way. I just try to do my best job, you know? And, and I think like, you know, like Dylan Bundy wasn't thinking about like, oh, ooh, I hope I get Cy Young votes. No, he wanted to do the best job he could, right? And so I think that's a big part of it is you just, we're all just trying to do our best job that we can do. And there are byproducts of that. There are consequences. And that's exactly why you try to do the best that you can. And you don't just mail it in after one. And like, that's why the NL, like the, um, the MVP voting is so difficult because it's 10 and you go one through 10. And like, honestly, it's the one, two, three is always easier than seven, eight, nine, 10. I spend more time on seven, eight, nine, 10 than I do one, two, three. This is a side that I've never actually thought of because I, I didn't actually know that you voted for the in-season awards, but now in my head, I'm just fascinated by this. Um, we'll have to come back to this at a later date, but we'll also have to get the Hall of Fame notebook at a later date as well. Yeah, yeah. We'll do that when I'm uh, in my office because it's it's right there. and Keep it like right there in my office. That's the best, like one, that's one of the most underrated times in the sports calendar is that time in like, when is it, January? Like MLB uh, Hall of Fame voting season? Yeah, because it's usually due... Uh, December 31st or you have to mail it by December 31st um, yeah. and they send us the ballot we usually get the ballot right around Thanksgiving so I often get it on my birthday uh, which is kind of fun <laughs> it's like a cool like little birthday gift I like that all right I said a couple last last things for you Trent I appreciate your time here tonight um, of course there's a name there's a guy on the Reds and 
caused a little little controversy this year. There's so many rumors about his name. And I, I just read another rumor from, from John Morosi about Jonathan India, about how popular his name is becoming on, on trade markets. And the Reds mm-hmm. are listening, and they have so much depth. What what are you hearing about Jonathan India? Um, and is this going to continue, like, the kind of rumor mill swirling circulation for him? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, John John's a really good player. He's a really good player. Um, and his value goes beyond the statistics he puts up. Um, he is, you know, I, I've said this many times and I've said this to John and I've said this to others. Like, like the team this year, the way they played, they all played like Jonathan India. John plays really, really hard. Um, he's a good, good guy in the clubhouse. Everybody respects the heck out of him because he works, you know, and that's why Joey went to him. Like Joey recognized that early and like his, his rookie year, like he and Joey, like Joey just respected the way he went out of the jo- or about the job, and it is, I think it's indicative of the leadership and, and like you can poo poo that all you want, but I really think he set a tone in the clubhouse and on the field, and uh, that that would be hard to to replace, um, especially if you're replacing Joey Votto as well. I mean, it's it's a very different clubhouse without either of those two. Um, but the other part is, is, you know, with the change in rules and no shifting, you know, Jonathan is a hard-nosed player, but he's not the best defensive second baseman. He does not have the most range. He is not the most athletic. Um, and so at second base, it's, it's tougher for him, um, especially now that you can't hide second baseman like you used to be able to with the shifting and having a shortstop over on that side of the, the, the field. Um, you're you're responsible for so much more as a second baseman after the rule changes, and so that's huge, um, you know. And, and then you have Matt McClain, <laughs> and Matt McClain's good. Matt McClain's really good. Um, Ellie De La Cruz, you know, LV Marte. I mean, like you just think of that, like that talent. Where does Jonathan India fit? I don't know that he's athletic enough to play the outfield. Um, so you're talking second base, some maybe first base. Uh, you also have Spencer Steer. Now, Spencer's not the most gifted defender, but he is versatile enough, and he will he'll play all those different positions and can do different things. But, you know, maybe he's your first baseman. Um, he, he did that pretty well last year, and, and in addition to playing third base, second base, and left field. Left field, a game a position he had played, I think he had played in the outfield one game before this year in his entire life. Um, and then he went out and played in the outfield in the big leagues. Uh, so, and then was the team's most productive offensive player. Uh, you know, he, you know, we were voting for team MVP, and I'm, I actually don't even remember who I voted for. If it was him or TJ Friedel, it was one or the other. Um, but like, you're talking about those kind of guys. Uh, <laughs> having too many good players is a good problem. And Nick Crawl has a lot of really good players at his disposal right now. I hear that phrase so often, and I'm sure it's probably the most overused phrase when it comes to the Reds. It's like, hey, it's a good, it's a good problem to have all these, yeah. all this talent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, but but there are, you know, there are places that you have to do it right. You know, you can disrupt it. They had this like vibe this year that was 
as the kids would say, it was immaculate, man. And, and it just, uh, it, it, it can, we'll see what it's like next year because, you know, part of that was they played loose and free because there were zero expectations on this team. I joked at the beginning of the year, like once they won their first game, I was like, well, they've already exceeded expectations because a lot of people were expecting them to go zero and 162. Um, and so like, that is not what they did. And coming into this year, especially, you know, council leaving and whatever else, because uh, the Cardinals are kind of weird. I don't know what's going to happen, but there will probably be people who pick them to win this division next year. Um, and that is a far cry from what the expectations were this year. That actually segues amazing into my next question, because it is about the Milwaukee Brewers and Craig Council and the Cubs and this whole drama that's unfolded with the managerial position. Do, do you think that Council kind of like reset the market for managers and his decision to go to the Cubs and make, you know, was eight, there was eight mil a year for five years. Um, yeah, do you five, think this will reshape? A little more than 40 for five. And yeah. here, here's how about this 1993, Barry Bonds goes to the Giants, the biggest deal of all time, changes really the fortunes of both the Pirates and the Giants. That was a six year deal worth 43.75 million for Barry Bonds. I mean, I, you know, we hear all the time that the managers don't matter, right? The smart, smart teams, the managers don't matter. Cubs are a pretty smart team, and they're putting 40 million. That matters. Do you think this is going to, is, is there going to be like a, a ripple effect after this where you think teams like the way they look at managers and like the top tier ones like Craig Council? Do you think this is just going to be like, the first domino that like are, are, are good managers finally going to start to reap the benefits of their, their good managing. I'm not sure. Um, because like the, what, what makes a good manager is so difficult to tell. Um, and it is so much, uh, I mean, Dusty Baker has been a great manager and like, I don't know that there's anybody who could have done that with the Astros that, that he handled. Um, but there's still some issues with crane and all that last year. And I, I don't know. I think it's going to be, it, it, will it be an outlier or a trendsetter? It's too early to know, but like there are very few guys who are respected quite like him, maybe Bruce Bochy. Um, but, but they're, they're all older and uh, we, we don't know who these guys are yet. And, and he's certainly, I, I, I've, I've thought he's the best manager in the game for the last couple of years. Uh, but there was also a time where we thought that um, Joe Madden was the best manager in the game. And the Cubs fired their manager at their time because they could get Joe Madden and, you know, put a knife in the back of Rick Renneria, sent him down to uh, to the south side. And, and, and I don't know, maybe David Ross will be on the south side here soon. Who knows? Yeah, it is fascinating. And it's also funny. It's also the Cubs who did that again. My last question, Trent. Uh, the last time you were on, you told a fantastic story about Ken Griffey Jr. and Star Wars. And we put it out. Is one of my favorite clips. It did super, super well. Everybody loved it. Um, have you one? Have you talked to Ken about that since then? And also, just like, are there are there other things that like the general public may not know about Ken from your time knowing him? Oh, uh, so much. Um, trying to think what I could share, uh, but <laughs> Ken is Ken is one of the like. I, I think one of the things is is people used to ask me like, oh, what's Ken Griffey Jr. doing now? saying he's doing exactly what he's always wanted to do and that's be the greatest dad in the world 
And, um, you know, I did send him a text the other day. I haven't heard back from him. It was during the World Series. I was just like, geez, I think I see you now more than I did when uh, when I was covering you because of all the World Series things. I was like, at least somebody got smart and finally put Melissa on, on air too because um, Melissa's awesome. His <laughs> wife, Melissa, is just – she's great uh she's 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 wonderful and um she puts up with a lot and so uh yeah i'm trying to think of a good story um you know it's funny the field of dreams game he was you know i I got to kind of hang out with him before that game and his dad and uh it was it was really really kind of neat um and then he he left there and he uh he flew home so he didn't stick around for the game he was he uh he was texting me during it and like what's the score what's what's going on and he landed right in the ninth inning he landed in Orlando at home <laughs> from Iowa. But hey, those commercials with him and his wife are so funny. Like I, I think yeah. those are super and like photography. Like he just has these like great interests that like I I didn't assume, like I didn't know he was a photographer, but like I've seen his stuff and I see him out there with his you know shooting games and I'm like this guy can do it all. This guy's the best. Yeah, I, I joked with him once. I said, like, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Ken Griffey Jr., the baseball player. And as an adult, I want to be Ken Griffey Jr., the retired baseball player. Um, because that seems like be a pretty decent life. He does it the best. It's so cool. He's great. Um, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he, he's the coolest. He interacted with the video we put out. It just seems super, super, super down to earth. Um, yeah, I think he did interact with that. He said something yeah. about me, and it. it's great. <laughs> Yeah, you, you two going back and forth in the comments was funny because people were like, is this the actual Ken Griffey Jr. just in the comments of this? <laughs> and it was. It was yeah, totally well, Ken. <laughs> oh, gosh, that, that guy's the best. Um, Trent, thank you so much for your time tonight. I really, really appreciate it. Can't wait to see what's next for Joey Votto. I will be reading your, your coverage on The Athletic as I do every single time. So uh, you're the man, and I really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. Playing on your radio, coming through your stereo.